0: From the southernmost point of Dorne to the lands of always winter. And what is west of Westeros and the shadows in the east. This is Casterly Talk and I'm Cat And the Game of Thrones rewatch continues. And we got a big one today. And now his watch has ended. Season 3, episode 4. 24th episode overall in the show. We've been having a lot of fun going back, rediscovering these episodes, rediscovering the things in them. For me, rediscovering season three is not to be overlooked, as I sometimes have a habit of doing. We are taking the themes and lessons presented in each episode, connecting them to the larger story, and connecting them to our own lives, and just going back and reliving these episodes. And what an episode to relive. This episode originally aired... April 21st, 2013 I just celebrated a birthday two days prior I was probably still basking in the glow of cake and ice cream When I sat down to have my mind blown by this episode It is truly one of the better episodes It's got one of the, I'd say, most memorable scenes with Danny Which was uh, at the end of the episode Uh, Very important to the creators One of the reasons uh, they wanted to do the show D.B. Weiss loves this scene and then they had a uh, director, Alex Graves, coming to Game of Thrones for the first time. He had an extensive resume before this, but his first time working on the show. He brought his own cinemato- cinematographer, Annette Halmick, uh, came in. She'd been working with him on, the West, on West Wing. She also worked with uh, Paul Verhoeven on uh, Starship Troopers, many other things, award-winning cinematographer. They come on over, and uh, Benioff and Rice, uh, Weiss, uh, not Rice, but Weiss, got credit for the script here. Katie Weiland, the excellent editor on this one the stats, but this is an episode that, uh, you know, deserves not just a relook here, but we could always come back to this episode. I think this is very, very important to the story of Danny, without a doubt. Why wouldn't it be? it be? This is a big moment. Uh, Benioff Weiss described this episode as kind of a turning point in the show, in the series, and when you really look at it from... That uh, perspective, it, it really rings true. There's uh, there's some big turns and some big changes that happen in this episode, big and small. Uh, it is uh, you know remembered again because of Daenerys Targaryen freeing the Unsullied and then uh, taking them as her army, the, giving them the choice, I should say. And none uh, walk away. They all join her. It's a victory moment for her that also foretold the coming. Of her justifiable rage, I think you can take this episode and tie it directly to the bells. But maybe a conversation for a little bit later and for another day. But like so many episodes, it's full of just wonderful building block scenes and big moments. We also say goodbye to Jorah Mormont, uh, one that hurt me. We'll talk about that. James Cosmos uh, did uh, two, two, almost two and a half seasons and was a um, calming presence on the show. And, and we feel... His loss, I I I'll go into it, but I think Mormont's death here um, takes away a pillar of support for the show in, in a good way. Where now we're just like I, as a viewer, feel like what not like Ned Stark, what's going to happen, but just like that was that was like my father. <laughs> what are we doing here? Uh, it it hurt, and it hurt. I'm a big fan of House Mormon. We are get to, also going to see Jamie Lannister at his lowest. It's possible this could be his lowest of the low. Uh, this episode starts with that. Uh, his hand's been chopped off. Uh, he falls into the mud. He wants to... He whips out a sword to see if he can still fight. He's got the left hand. And we know he can't. And he kind of knew he couldn't. And, and he wants to give up. He wants to die. And he and Brienne have a, an important scene for both characters. Uh, but it's definitely... Uh, uh, I think Jamie hits rock bottom in this episode. He's got... He's he's low for a while, but I think this episode, I I will submit, is uh, Jamie's lowest of the low. Many things on the way here. Perhaps Varys' greatest scene. We got that. There are a lot lot of great scenes for these characters, just in terms of the characters' resumes and the actors that portray these characters. We also have an underrated villain. Uh, Let's get to the big theme here. I love finding what's in the episode. What is the episode telling us? What is it communicating? Sometimes it's a simple theme. Sometimes it's lessons. And sometimes it's questions. And I I think there's some questions in this episode. This one's asking you, how are you going to survive? We have a lot of uh, season three beginning with, here's what everyone really wants. Danny, most notably an army. John wants to be a hero, but that's that's whisked away. And he's got to redefine that for himself. And by the way, no John in this episode. Uh, one of the biggest episodes, and you forget, uh, Kit uh, on the sidelines, take a knee, kid. Uh, we got that, and then then we were learning about like who who are you really, and then and who 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 are you like who you are to the world, who do you see yourself are. That's that's some of the stuff that's already been at play here in the show and season three up to this point, right? And like with Star Wars, a lot of the themes are. Are 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 kind of lather rents repeat in a way where because we're dealing with these big questions and it's ongoing it's ongoing story and you know a choice will take you to another point of choice and so on and so on. That's how these characters move along here. Uh, This episode has one of the to me one of the more intriguing themes lessons and then a question and and it comes from Rast. It comes from Rast, who uh, we should talk about Rast here a little bit here. Luke Barnes plays Rast. He plays him from season one on. He's just kind of a little side character almost. You don't think much of him here, and then he comes roaring back uh, north of the wall. We love taking questions on Twitter or comments. You can use the hashtag CasterlyTalk and follow me at Ken Epsok to uh, tweet me and and use that hashtag to get a question. Eric Monroe, longtime listener of the program, Says this regarding episode three oh four. This one, I think, Rats uh, Rast is an overlooked at times evil character. He hits George Mormont from behind like a coward. Truth facts for me, this is mutiny, even sadder than the one we see in season five with Jon Snow, which. Yeah, yeah, we can talk about that There's some what-ifs out of this death here George Mormont going out like this hits very hard down the line When his son finds out too Yeah, uh, Again, as a fan of uh, House Mormont Like I am, uh, this uh, sets up We always like to look at the little foreshadowing Things that mean more now Not even necessarily the show foreshadowing things Or, uh, you know, things that we can use To predict future in- instances um, I also think you just go back And things have a little bit more meaning Now that all uh, eight seasons are behind us And this one, you know, tracing this to uh, Jorah finding out from Tyrion, uh, yeah, man, that sucks. That hurts. That's a hurty hurt one right there. Uh, yeah, so dive in. Uh, here, here it is from Rast. In the in the first time we see him in this episode, you got uh, Ed and and uh, Gren and they're and they're shoveling pig shit and they're unhappy with that. And excellent excellent point of. You join the Night's Watch for uh, the realm, for glory, to redefine yourself, to, to save your name or to just build up a new name. But really, you're just shoveling poop every day. It's pretty – between big fights, you're just shoveling. Uh, and I think that's actually really funny and a, and a keen observation here. Now, before this uh, – I, I, I don't want to delay the theme talk here. But before this, again, the show starts with Jamie. Taking this, uh, taking the sword, flailing, uh, uh, the water dumped on his head. Uh, Locke claims to have, you know, given him uh, horse piss, and uh, Brand sees him. He s- sees Jamie, this once this gallant knight, the Jamie Lannister. Who he is uh, in the mud, um, spitting out horse piss. He can't even fight to save his own life, literally, and that. And then, then we go from there. We go to Varys and Tyrion, which we could talk about here in a bit. Uh Varys and Tyrion. Tyrion's still worried about what happened in Battle of Block- Blackwater Bay, who tried to kill me. He's trying to get information. He wants revenge. He wants to do something. Uh, he wants information. And even though he's got some titles, he's got a name. He doesn't have the influence. He said, I don't have the spies. I don't have, I don't have what I need uh, to take ca- uh, care of myself. And I, 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 no one's willing to help me, essentially, is what he's saying. And Varys gives him the great speech. About his story, how he was cut and the voices, and, and we're going to go into that in a bit. And, and it reveals, of course, as he's slowly undoing the crate, the box. There, he's got the sorcerer that cut him, the sorcerer that tortured him, the sorcerer that left him for dead. There, and Varys goes on a great speech about getting back at him, and it's a speech about patience. It's also a speech about survival, but it ties into the theme that that to me emerges from Rast, north of the wall. Listen to to Gren and Ed talk about uh, you know shoveling the the pig poop and. Uh, uh, they talk about you know they'll leave when Jor Mormont says it's time to leave. He's their leader. He's their father figure. He's he's the Lord Commander. And Ras just kind of spits that name out. Yeah, he, he says the Lord Commander told us to go to the Fist of the First Men. Basically saying how'd that work out for us? We listened to him. This is we're we're in this position because of this vaunted uh, Lord Commander. And and Ras says this: If we want to live, we'll have to look out for ourselves. I consider that the theme of this episode, but also a question this episode is asking all of our characters. You want to survive. You want to, you want to see justice. You want to get revenge. You want to take over. You want to get what's yours. You just want to live till tomorrow. You're going to have to look out for yourselves. And in this world, and you can easily tie it to our world, but it's, it's, it's a dangerous thing to get in your head. And here's why. I submit that this episode as sees different interpretations of what that means to these people. Uh, Rast and Carl Tanner burn Gorman's character uh we know at the end of this episode we're talking about Joe Mormont they they make a decision on what that means to look out for themselves and i would say i i don't like that decision killing craster hey, you know you know i could yeah i'm okay with that one but turning on joe mormont the mutiny turning on their brothers but they were doing hey we got to look out for ourselves and and we got this guy just died broken ankle does a broken ankle kill you no, we're 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 dying because there's sourdough in the bread. Craster's uh, starving us out. He doesn't care. Uh, he's he's disgusting. He's a monster. We're the knights. We're going to do what we want. Carl Tanner says later on the scene. There's no laws north of the wall, right? Because Jor Mormont's trying to keep some sort of semblance of control, law. Uh, and and Jor Mormont, I would argue, is just. I would even say to Rast, he's doing what he feels he needs to do to have everyone survive, have himself, but also the people under his care. You have Gilly. Great scene. Great scene. Because the Rast scene is immediately followed. He says that line. If we want to live, we'll have to look out for ourselves. The next scene we go to is naive, sweet old naive Sam. He's just been pining over Gilly for the year and he left that little thimble with her. I'll come, hold this, i come back. I'm so sweet and I love you and I think I I think I want to touch a woman and I've never done that. And all oh, the vows, oh, I'm just Sam. I'm just sweet Sam who didn't send the Ravens back and <laughs> needs help, needs Mormont to, to forbid him to die. Sweet, sweet Sam. And by the way, you know I love Sam as a character. He, he goes to Gilly, and, and he's what? Last episode, he's, she's given birth to a son. He kind of has an idea that's not a good thing. Uh, something's gone on here. We don't really know the, what Jon Snow learned in season two. The others don't really necessarily know, but maybe they do know. Jor Mormont seems to know, and they can suspect what's going on here. I love uh, Hannah Murray in the scene. Uh, it's, it's, to me, one of her best scenes as well. And it's so early on in, in Gilly's run here. She... Returns that little gift. She's The baby's crying. She's kind of freaking out. And she's like, oh, by the way, here's your stupid gift. And, and Sam is heartbroken. He starts to go into this rom-com. Oh, but I gave that to you. She's like, yeah, you t- said hold it till you come back. You're back. And she says, I don't want your stupid thimble. I want to save my baby's life. Can you do that? Can you? I don't have time for you. I don't have time for anyone but him. So there's this theme, Ras has just said it. If, you, if we want to live, we'll have to look out for ourselves. And Gilly understands that. She understands it in this moment, but you know, she she knows and, and looking out for yourself doesn't mean you don't need the help of others. You often do. But it's like, she knows we've got to make a decision. Can you help me with that decision? If not, I got, I got nothing for you. Go. I got no time for you. Hit the sand, hit the pavement, kid. Oh man, and we have a brief moment even with Bran that follows this with Jojen. We got the the great little vision, and I do love this scene too. Just looking back on the episode, not even talking about the themes here, but seeing Michelle Fairley uh, as Cat uh, and communicating with Bran, uh, Isaac Hempstead White, uh, just um, a little bit later in, in his life, you know, and and it, it so takes you back to it, so takes you back to to season one, and you kind of get that. Oh man. Uh, why couldn't we just keep the, <laughs> keeping that timeline? Uh, and what could have been if they were all still together? So that's just kind of fun on that note. But even in that vision, you got the, the Red Raven, you got that stuff going here. Jojen is there. Weird old little jo- Jojen. We love Jojen, but he's got these weird little cryptic messages and, and we talked about how he's seen a lot of who brand really is right that's a lot of the themes going on with them up until this point and i love here he even says you have to go after him and brand says how uh, Jojo says you know how you know how i i think that goes even in this thing you have to look out for yourselves we're here for you we're here to help get you there but this is about you and your journey to get the raven Let's go into some of the Brienne and Jamie stuff here. We Everyone talks about Brienne and Jamie on the road, and I love it too. They're on the road for like an actual episode. And then we we move along, and now we get some um the, the tragic stuff with Locke and everything going on. Um, Brienne is a wonderful character, absolutely one of the best on the show. And I love this moment for her and it, it she proved herself you know Jamie's not himself but she's bested him in that fight on the bridge right before they get caught uh, you know we'll give her the point for that one there uh, at the top of his game no but i got I, even at the top of his game i i, I got to say brands in the fight you know uh, she's so good but here's this character that 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 has been insulted by Jamie all along but then he helps her tries to help her the lie of the sapphire isles which we know is going to come back and kind of uh, Get her, get her in some trouble with the bear and everything there, the bear pit. But she asks, like, well, like why? She's asking why. Like, why did you help me? But she's looking at this man, the great Jamie Lannister, who's been insulting her all along, insulting her about her her uh, gender, her gender identity. There's a woman. He just keeps throwing that in her face. You woman, you ugly woman, you tall woman. No one wants to touch you, woman. She gets made fun of all along. Right, and at the end of this, she has this this great moment. With Jamie, where he just wants to die. He wants to give up. And look, there before the grace of seven gods go. I, 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 I think in that moment too. I'm my hand hanging on my 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 sword hand hanging from my neck. I'm covered in everything you can imagine. Sitting in mud, kill me, kill me. Brand says you can't die. You need to live to take revenge. She goes on that. I think there's. Again, going to the theme of if you want to live, you have to save yourself. Jamie's going to have to save himself. The simple act of eating, staying alive to the next day. And she's saying this to herself. Gwendolyn Christie, obviously so good as a performer, has that look. She's watching him, and she has words for him, but she, she, there's a look off to the side that's also to her. She's not having a fun time around here either, to say, that, say the least, to say it lightly. So when she says you can't die, you need to live, I believe in my heart she's saying it to herself and, and, they're, and they're coming together again. You do need support. Take the support and you can get it on the road uh, uh, figuratively and literally, I guess. So I love when she says that you can't die, you need to live and goes off into this wonderful speech of uh, – I mean really just lays it on. I'm paraphrasing, but oh, the great Jamie Lannister. Oh, the big, great, powerful knight. Jamie Lannister, you lose one little hand and drink one little bucket of horse piss, and you find one little year of trouble in your life, and you want to give up. Has he had a bad year? Yeah, he's had a bad year. Let's give Jamie a little bit of a break here, but Brand's right. And I see this as the first person to really tell Jamie the truth, even over Cersei, even over everyone. Tyrion's probably delivered at some point, but there's, you know, different dynam- dynamics at play. But in this moment, at his lowest, there's sympathy. There's there's compassion and empathy from Brienne. She's, she's seen it. She's gone through it, too. She sees what he's going through, and arguably, he's, he's in a lower position here. And, and he did it for her, basically. But all that's out the window because she says, you know... <laughs> You get one little, one little taste of the real world, and you want to give up. And she says, she spits it out of her mouth. You sound like a bloody woman. That's not show. That's not lightly from Brienne. I love that moment. She's been, she's had that thrown in her face the entire show, but especially from Jamie Lannister. He's thrown that from the beginning. You're a woman, and worse, you're an ugly woman. And it's in her face. And you're a big woman. And you're you're not what you're supposed to be in this land. You and you want to be a knight. You and by the way, this is Jamie, right? He's been saying this, summarizing what he's been saying. The feeling, the vibe behind what he's been saying is you, you you want to be a knight. You can't even be a knight, you woman. So when she throws that back in his face, throws it to Jamie, it, 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 it hits him in a way. Not that it's right, not that a woman's not strong in this show or the real world, not that it's fair, but for Brienne to just, pull, spit it out. You sound like a bloody woman. Boom, for Jamie to take that in. Nicolás Calderwaldo played it so well, and he takes the bite of bread. That's all he does in response to that. Jamie Lannister has finally heard the truth from Brienne, which is about their connection. As heartbreaking as that connection can be at times, and especially where it ends up. I'm sorry, sometimes the show's going to deal in heartbreak, as in life. I'd love for Jamie and Brianne to marry and live happily ever after uh, outside of Dorn, having kids. It's, it's not going to happen. Jamie is who he is. We, 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 we discovered just a couple episodes ago where he tells Brianne. he's kind of the first to hear Jamie say, yeah, I love my sister. I'll do anything for her. That is who I am. So Brianne takes that, and now going back at him, we'll look at this. Look at you. Almost as if she's saying, she's not specifically saying that, but almost as if she's saying, like, oh, you want to live for Cersei? You want to take revenge on these guys? You have to live. If that's who you really are. This man who loves your, who loves your sister, who loves Cersei. And you want to you you fight for her, you want to get back, or you wanna, whatever you want to do. Whatever you want to do, do. No judgment. Whatever you want to do, just stay alive. It's a powerful scene. The bathtub scene coming later on is perhaps the best scene between the two of them, other than maybe a Night of Seven Kingdoms for me. That's my personal take on it, but the, bath, the, bathtub, uh, the bathtub scene a little bit later on is amazing. But I think this kind of sets that up. I think Jamie's able to confess that to her the truth about what happened with the Mad King. I think because he knows she sees the real him, she, she gets it. She's seen him confess his true love. She's seen him uh, down and out and, and basically tells him the truth there that no one else would tell him. His whole life, no one's going to tell him this. Man, love that scene. Absolutely one of my favorites I could go on and on and on uh from uh from there we go into some stuff here. I love just kind of working through these and we'll come back and talk about some of our favorite scenes a little uh, a little bit uh, more closely some foreshadowing things with more meaning, but just working through here uh Marjorie is um very much on display in season three. this new kind of Marjorie the game Marjorie. Season two, Marjorie is wonderful, but it just sets this all up to me. You want to be the queen? No, I want to be the queen. Marjorie wants that. We know this, and we get it. It's pretty surface level. That's why I love the scene later on with Tywin. Uh, sometimes themes are pretty simple, surface. Level. These are myths and fables. They should be themes you can grasp, lessons you can learn. I love that Cersei's kind of like almost us at times. So it's like. Cersei has a Game of Thrones podcast with her father later on. Well, Marjorie's got her claws in Joffrey. She's learning how to control him. I picked up on that, and Tywin's like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's exactly what's happening. Too bad you couldn't do it. Love that scene later on. But we get to see Marjorie, and I think she's great at hiding this theme. Uh, I'm not saying that's. Ex- you know, explicitly what was put in the script for Marjorie here, we know, Betty, I always make reference, but Betty often and Weiss, more specifically, Betty Off are kind of like, yeah, hey, we don't do themes. I, I will say a pox on that idea at the end of time. These these shows and these episodes are communicating a lot of things, and, and often they're uh, uh, lined up here. Um, and, and, and as always, you know, you can interpret things a lot of ways, uh, which Game of Thrones is about that, too. Prophecies, lessons. A lot of people look at them different ways. In fact, this episode is again looking at this question: of, if you want to survive, you got to save yourself. And a lot of people have different thoughts on how to do that. Here's Marjorie. She's going to save herself. She's got a in her corner. She's got the House Tyrell uh, uh, money in in her pockets, and she knows how to play Joffrey. She knows how to play Sansa. So we got a couple great scenes with Marjorie here. We'll go in a little bit of the details, foreshadowing things that come uh, with, with um, Joffrey, but the, the scene around the Sept and and, and Joffrey's. Giving her the tour. Let me show you my place. There's all the remains of the people my dad killed. There's the Targaryen history. They're dead. They're dead. They're dead. Ain't it cool? Uh, And Cersei's watching this happen. And again, Cersei's like, Cersei's uh, stuck up here. And then Marjorie's a few steps ahead and and deeper on the theme here. And this theme of this, hey, you can only save yourself. Joffrey, of course, doesn't feel he needs to save himself, but... You know uh, Sansa's got that, and Joffrey's got that too. Joffrey has things he wants. Marjorie understands that. You want the love of the people? Give it to them, and they'll return it tenfold. Adoration, glory—that's what Joffrey wants. He wants to be considered the king. I'm the king. That's Joffrey's rallying cry. I was probably the end of every night when he's sent to bed without dinner. Marjorie understands that, so. She'll influence a lot of the decisions that the, they're making. She's, does, she does have her clause in Joffrey. She makes it think it's a decision for themselves with Joffrey and Sansa. She's playing Sansa. I think there's a, a, a respect. I think there's a care. There's a concern for Sansa. I, I really do think Marjorie doesn't have anything against Sansa. But she is a piece on the board to be controlled, moved, and House Tyrell needs Sansa Stark. It's all the stuff with Varys and and the Queen of Thorns talking about what Baelish is doing. You know Sansa. We got the the uh, the scene with uh, Esme Bianco as uh, as um, Roz. uh, You know uh, we'll talk about that and the Pod stuff in that scene, which was great. Sansa's a piece on the board, so in order to pull her in and 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 almost misdirect some of these folks, if if this idea is you want to save you want to stay alive, save yourselves, they they almost can't have Sansa do that. Marjorie can't have Sansa. Save herself because that might take her far away from here. That might take her off the board or put her in a position to hire. Maybe she works at another marriage. job. Maybe she does decide, you know what, Bayless, she's all right. I'm going to do this for myself. santa has got all these kinds of decisions in front of her, but she's heartbroken. She's just devastated. She's had a lot of bad things happen to her already and it ain't going to get better for a while, unfortunately. So I think Marjorie, take, she, she takes that theme and twists it and serves it back to them as their own decision. She she gives Sansa what she needs. Is that great great Sophie Turner's so awesome in that scene, the porridge face, everything, real sisterly connection, and and, and that moment where you know Marjorie's like, yeah, you could marry Loras, you and I could be sisters, all these things, and, and Sansa through like tears ready to burst out, just that would make me very happy, and and, and she wants to keep that uh, you know face of strength and keep a stiff up upper lip. That's what Sophie Turner does so well with this scene. Plays it so well, just almost crying, her lips getting real tight, that would make me very happy. And she makes that decision. All right, yeah, you're right, you're right. This is what I need to do to survive. This is what I need to do to save myself. Yeah, you're right, you're right, Marjorie, you're right. Great idea, great idea. I didn't save myself. I I followed your plan. I followed your idea, but it seems like mine. And that's what I love about Marjorie Tyrell in season three. That's why we love Marjorie, Uh, Natalie Dormer. Hats off to Natalie Dormer. I knocked my hat off if you're watching on video. Uh, <laughs> uh, love it. Love the stuff there. Uh, all right. Let's let me catch my breath because I'm talking about myself. Mm, big sip of soda. Well, a fruit drink. And we're back. Here we go. Um, am I ready to get into the death of George Mormont? Yeah, why not? Why not? Why not? Because we got some big stuff. We even got a little, a little moment, uh, little, it's big, but a little moment, tinier, shorter scene with uh, Arya and the Brotherhood that I think is powerful. Then we go into the Danny stuff. And then from there, we'll go back and take a look at some of our, our favorite scenes, a little more detail here. The death of Jor Mormont, like I said, uh, this is uh, not just me breaking down the themes. We're also looking back and kind of re-experiencing these episodes. James Cosmos is great as Jor Mormont. I just like House Mormont. And then Leanna, you know, Mormont comes on later. it on, comes later on and just adds to the the legacy and the myth and the uh you know stature of the house in a lot of our eyes. She's great. Uh, uh we, we'll, we'll cross that bridge if she'll let us. Um but I love Jora for better and worse. I you know it's not all good. Jorah's not perfect, right? He's a little sad sack. He did some did some uh, you know, duplicitous things with Danny. He gets a little bit of what uh, is coming to him here. But uh, overall, love the guy. Sympathetic character. Ian Glenn, just obviously amazing here. Uh, so it just makes sense that I would like his father as well. Cut for the same stoic cloth, I guess. Uh, just a little bit more uh, noble. Um, so that death is just absolutely one of the more heartbreaking losses for me in the show. Uh, Mormont, Jor Mormont, is, is complicated. Like all GOT characters, he's not perfect. I still think Jon Snow is righteously upset at him for kind of being aware of what Craster's doing. But it's kind of what Jor-, Jor has to do. It's the lay of the land. It's, it's again, it's it's tough decisions. It's easy to stand on the sidelines and say, here's what's right and here's what's wrong. Jor Mormont is not on the sidelines. He is in the thick of it, and it's not going well. And even when things were okay, he was on the wall. Uh, I feel in his heart as things, you know, we don't see. When we pick up in season one, we see the White Walkers. We see that little girl girl turned into a white. We see what happens to uh, Raymer, Royce, and uh, Will and Garrett. But I think the Night's Watch already has that idea, right? You kind of get that idea from... uh, Benjamin Stark, you know. Uh, things think, hey, Ned, there's some things happening. So I, I think Jor, Jor Mormon understands the bigger picture. He's fighting against the truth at times and just wants to save himself. But by saving himself, he's trying to save the men under his watch here. So that death really hit me. Uh, he provided a sense of calm. He was a true father figure. And it, it didn't have to go this way, right? Stupid rast. And I, wi- I wish I wish your Mormon had killed Rast. I really do. Choked him. But Rast kind of got what's coming to him here. Uh this whole scene does kind of keep in the theme though, but it is about that thing I said up top about this episode. It's asking you a question. Like, so you hear you see this theme? Save yourself, stay alive. It's not a last, last Mohicans podcast. Stay alive, stay alive and we'll find you. Rast kind of says the theme. We can kind of nod and go. Rast is kind of right, and we want we want Samwell Tarly and Gilly to save themselves. We want Jamie, and maybe not you know the love of Jamie's growing, but by the end of the show, Jamie's a, a character people generally support. We're watching Jamie and Brienne. We want them to save themselves. We definitely want Daener- Daenerys Targaryen to save herself, but we don't want Rast or Carl to save themselves. We don't want Baelish to save himself, Joffrey to save himself. Varus, you know, we're on we might have been on the fence, but after this one, it's scary. Like, oh, he's capable of some things. So maybe we're rooting for him. Um, but Tarast and Carl and, and the mutineers there, yeah, they're 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 behind them, saving themselves. So they make that decision. And this episode asks asks us to weigh that. These decisions, who's making the decisions, not just the decisions. Uh so I really do feel they're doing uh, what they feel they need to do to save themselves. I think it's wrong, but it's what they feel. And so they do and they take action there. Uh, Jorah, uh, Jor Mormont uh, was trying to save others. Uh, he's more noble on this. But again, people are going to interpret that for themselves. And Craster gets probably what's coming to him here. And Carl Tanner, uh, played excellently by Bern Gorman, is he's not a good guy. Game of Thrones does have a lot of shades of gray and complicated corners and questions to ask you about these characters. But some of them are just bad. But that does not mean they don't have uh, a certain humanity to them. Uh, we are going to go into a scene uh, I, I intentionally kind of skipped uh, with Theon and Ramsay. Uh, we are we see humanity uh, in both of those characters, mostly Theon. But there's a little moment with Ramsay Bolton, uh, Ramsay Snow at this time we'll talk about him. So I'm not saying, all this to say, I'm not saying uh, I'm rooting for Carl at any point uh, of Gin Alley. But that moment where Craster's just kind of like, don't call me names. Don't call me a bastard. I got this axe in my hand. Let's all eat my uh, spoiled pork. Uh, I'll eat the good stuff. You eat the bad stuff. Uh, I hate you anyways. Everyone in that room probably wants to put a sword through his face. Everyone, including Mormon. But they got to do what they got to do, right? I love the moment where it cuts back, you know, Rast is being uh, grabbed by Mormont and thrown out of the uh, the keep there. And Bern Gorman, as Carl, gives that little sigh, kind of closes his eyes like, am I going to do this? Yeah, you better believe I'm going to do this. You are a bastard. Sets off all of the chain of events. I love that moment. It's one of the finer little Game of Thrones moments. Because I think... At this moment, now you might have seen Burn Gorman pop up. We talked about it last week. He's kind of in the background, and it's like, who's that clean-shaven guy? Oh, is that that guy, Burn Gorman? He kind of plays interesting. He does okay. So there's something's probably coming with him, and I don't know. By the look of his face, probably not good. Right? There's that there. But in the up until this moment, it's Craster, man. You're, we're not supposed to like Craster, and that little sigh, that little. <sighs> I'm about to make a decision here. And part of the decision we as an audience might love, the other part I don't think we love. So to Eric Monroe's tweet earlier about rasping being an underrated villain, I agree with that. He's over the top. He's at times rather, uh, especially drinking the uh, out of the skull of Jor Mormon. everything kind of in season four with uh, the mutineers is, is a little over the top. Uh, but I, lo- I actually do end up loving a lot of stuff later on in season four. I, I didn't initially love it uh, when I watched it in 2014. But I think in this moment, Carl, we, we, we understand Carl for a second. <laughs> for a second, which is the great thing and damn thing that Game of Thrones does. Makes us go, hey, you, you thought you hated that character, even Carl Tanner? Here's a moment of humanity for him. Uh, we got a moment of humanity and clarity uh, for uh, definitely for Arya Stark. We got the great little scene here. I say little, but it, it, it's a big chunk of the episode towards the end there. Arya and Kendry taken to the secret hideout of the Battle uh, Brotherhood of the Without Banners, Uh, and and to me, keeping with the theme, there's this clarity that Arya gets, and again, she has a long way to go. This we know. Her story goes goes on and on and on. She's picking up these truths, and she knows the truth about the Hound. And I do love this scene. Themes be damned, I just love. Everyone kind of uh, piling on the hound, and here's another character where we're like, we don't like this guy, but everything they're throwing at him—he, I wasn't there. I didn't kill the kids. I didn't touch the Targaryen babes. That's my brother. I don't like him either. So you're kind of like, uh, uh, okay, okay. Uh, he's already done some things like we kind of like. He's we're starting to turn, right? They're starting to turn on the old uh, the old hound there. Get the reveal of Richard Dormer as Barrack Don Darian, over the role from David Michael Scott. And no apologies, to, no offense to David Michael Scott, but this was a spot on recasting. The show does this. Game of Thrones has recast a lot of characters. Uh, you know, it had the Hound, uh, not the Hound. Excuse me, Sandor Clegane. Uh, uh, not Sandor. Why am I the Mountain? Thank you, everybody. Gregor. Wow, sometimes you just your brain just throws a bunch of names at the wall and you pick one. Uh, they recast, of course, The Mountain a few times. Beric Dondarrion is one of the first ones that is really, uh, I almost say noticeable, but I, I got to tell you, we talked about, uh, it's in the Golden Crown episode in, in season one, the, the reveal of Beric Dondarrion there with uh, Ned Stark on the throne, kind of watching it while Robert's uh, out of action there and sending uh, Lord Beric Dondarrion into uh, the lands to uh, take care of Gregor. Uh, it's such a small moment that you overlook it. And you kind of go back, oh, yeah. wait, who's this new character? Oh, we did hear about this character. Not only we hear about this we saw this character in the show. Uh, Richard Dormer comes in and just uh, does something uh, amazing with the character all the way through. Love this character, love the performer. A lot of people in Game of Thrones I'd love to see end up in Star Wars. A lot of them actually do. Same casting house for a lot of uh, smaller ro- roles in both shows there, but I... Um, uh, I would love Richard Dormer to be in Star Wars. I really would. Old, old Jedi type or something. Great voice. So I love this epi- I love this little moment in this episode. They're throwing all this stuff at the Hound, and none of it's sticking because none of it's true. And you know, we get the reveal: the Lord of the Light, uh, Richard Dormer, all those things. Which you know, you know, Beric Dondarrion, excuse me, is is reborn in the in the in the in the light, and that has uh, some meaning for a little bit later on with John and even Beric Dondarrion himself. His purpose, the Hound, a lot of that comes back. But I love that in this moment, this moment of clarity for Arya, uh, she's watching these big, tough, grown men, who she's 100% not sure of, kind of have no case against the Hound. They don't care to ask her. No one really cared about what she thinks about any of this. She's a pawn on the board for them. She wants justice. She wants revenge. She wants to uh, avenge Micah's death. And she wants to do what she feel is, feels is right. It's a sense of survival. And I love that she's the one that says, you, you, you did murder someone. You murdered Micah. You ran him down. Hound doesn't deny it. Beric Dundere, you says it so well. I can't even do Richard Dormer's voice, but you don't deny it. And... To me, the way, the way this kind of ties to the big theme of this episode is, again, Arya kind of looks around and sees that no one's going to really stand up to him. Oh, they've captured him. Oh, they want to put trial by combat. They're saying a lot of mean things to him. But then he kind of rebuffs it with, I, I, I wasn't there. They're looking for something. They got no evidence now. Fine. I'll do it. The little girl. I'll do it. You killed Micah. Die for it, Hound. She's willing to do something. In the next episode, she even kind of uh, you know they have to hold her back from charging at the hound, and I love the hound's like great. Who's going to fight me? You, Archer, you, Priest, you, Barric Dondarrion. Who who's going to fight? Is it the little girl? She might be the bravest one here. And I love that Barric Dondarrion says to the question of, or is the little girl the bravest one here? I. She might be, but it's me you'll fight. I think that uh, was going to be, I think he was going to fight the hound regardless. But he couldn't have, what would they have done? They would have just kept throwing, finding murders? Did you do this hound? No? Okay, what, what's on the list? It takes Aria to stand up for herself, to stand up for Micah. And it's a great little moment for me. And just again, themes be damned. Just love the, love the performances in that scene. Love what's going on there. All right, so all right, should we do this now? Yeah, let's. Uh, no, you know we're gonna come back to we're gonna we're all right, all right, we're gonna come back to Daenerys Targaryen. Danny, you deserve your own segment at the end here. Let's go to some foreshadowing things with more meaning. And I want to talk about uh, Tyrion looking at that box, uh, that crate that carried the sorcerer here uh, for Varys. Same style. In fact, I was—is it the same box? So I've never really answered that question for myself. I should look it up. Is it the same crate that he's he's going to go over to Essos in at the end of season four, into season five? And it kind of looks at it. I mean, I'm sure there's a standard for crates with the holes in it for transporting people. Uh, livestock but people uh so uh, is it the Varus just clean it up and say i'm going to hold on to this in case i ever need to ship someone over to uh, <laughs> hilario Mapatis's house so i love that little moment there uh and it's one of my favorite scenes as well i i do believe we can call this a top five Varus scene if not the best Varus scene and there's a lot of great Varus scenes because Conlith hill turns even the smallest scenes into a great moment so the um Great scene with, uh, with uh, the Queen of Thorns in this episode is, is also great, Varus stuff, too. I just love the reveal. We've been dancing around it how and why, and, and the whole story behind Varys being cut and, and what made him. And it is a lesson of influence, it's a lesson of patience to Tyrion. It's something Tyr- Tyrion needs to hear. But what he, What, what Varus is telling the Tyrion is keeping with the theme you have to take care of yourself. You have to take care of yourself. You hear the whole horrible story of him being used and abused, left for dead as a child, and he decided he was going to live. That's how he was going to get back. Again, we got the Jamie stuff, right? We're coming out of some of the Jamie stuff. We're going to get that big moment with Bran after this scene. In this scene, he's telling Tyrion, "I, I decided to live, and 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 influence grows like a weed. And here, I did that didn't happen overnight." And I, I, I took care of myself every step of the way, every dirty, bad, horrible, nasty step of the way. I took care of myself from there to the Red Keep, from there to the small council. Varys did that. You want to survive. You want to save yourself. You're going to have to save yourself. You're going to have to do it yourself. So revenge, patience, influence, all these things to me is Varys just telling Tyrion, you're going to have to do it yourself and you're going to have to take your time and it's going to have to grow. And you don't necessarily have it right now, but you can get it if you want. And I also love this uh, line, uh, uh, Varys saying, I still dream of that night, not of the sorcerer, not of his blade. I dream of the voice from the flames. Was it a god, a demon, a conjurer's trick? I don't know. But the sorcerer called and a voice answered. I want to dive into this a little bit here because we never get the answer. And we all wanted the answer. I want the answer. Maybe in the books, separate style, separate version of the story. Maybe George will answer that question. I don't know, though. George is a good storyteller. Clearly, he's a great world builder. But he also knows that sometimes it's not the answer. It's the question. It's just how it is. And that's why I try to engage in these shows in terms of themes and lessons and questions and, and what it means for the rest of the story. and What is this episode telling you? It's what we do over at Force Center. Uh, it's how we break down Star Wars. Joseph Scrimshaw and myself, It's why I love doing it here now. At least trying. At least trying to engage with it. The answer of The Voice is something I personally still want. I'd love a season 9 p- 8.2 or something like that A Season 9 one episode reunion special Where we get to where Kinvara shows up And says oh yeah oh yeah by the way I didn't tell anyone what the voice says But it, the answer wasn't the point The question was The question was what emerges from Varus's speech here was this real? Was it fake? Was it some somehow combination of all? Melisandre does go on to say, "Hey, some of my stuff is real. Some of it's potions that make people think it's real. It's all, it's all a work. It's all some varying degree of real or fake." And I don't even know what to believe anymore myself. It's something Melisandre's dealing with. But regardless of whether you know it was real or it was fake, a god or a demon, a conjurer's chick, to me, it's it's about this. Uh, Belief in one kind of magic or one kind of God and how it drives so many horrible things in this world, Westeros and Essos and beyond, that the answer no longer matters. What matters is how we all survive it. That's what I think Varys is saying here. That's what I think, at least what I pull from it. Yeah, I want the answer in terms of Game of Thrones plot. I'd love it. But Mel... Melisandra goes up and down on her beliefs up and down on her skills we got the old gods seven gods the fire gods the drowned gods we got the faceless men we got this whole world everyone's got to believe you see a comet in the sky you don't know what it means uh you might think you know that person next to you has a different version of it wrath says we've got to save ourselves so that means uh killing craster and killing our leader uh danny's gonna ask yourself what she wants to do real quick here in the episode All these characters are trying to take care of themselves and that is more important than what a voice said, what the plot was to me. Is it sometimes frustrating? Yes. But I think this is one of the key scenes in the show to kind of look at everything going forward. Varys doesn't know the answer. All he knows is he doesn't trust people with magic. All he knows is whatever that voice was. I wonder if he has an opinion. Does Varys wish it was a god? Because maybe there'd be some divine purpose in what happened to him. Does he wish it was a demon so he could 100% blame a dark power? Would he be heartbroken, crestfallen, disappointed, or just have no feeling at all if he learns it was a conjurer's trick? And all this horror happened to me, to my body, to me as a child, and this life I had to live, and it was all because of some conjurer's trick? How would Varys feel about that? He can't really focus on that. He can't focus on the answer of what was that voice saying and does that make this real or not. All he can focus on is how he had to save himself from this moment on that he decided to live to get what he wanted. He decided to react to this this way. He makes a choice to go forward in his own way, in his own time. I think this is why this scene really stands the test of time. There's some great imagery. There's some darkness. It's evil. Like, it's the first time Conleth Hill plays Varys so well, and he's so funny, and he's so snarky, and he's so, so, uh, you're dancing around, and you, you know, the, 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 the witty banter with Baelish and all those things. But this is a scene where you're like, yeah, oh, wow. Okay. Don't cross Varys. Tyrion has those looks. Uh, Peter Dinklage plays it so well just uh, letting Conleth have this moment and reacting to it and, and, and as as a character ah, I love it I love it I think that's what uh, a lot of the stuff at play there could just be me you tell me We've got uh, uh, the other very scene we, it's one of my favorite scenes uh, the the uh, Roz scene uh, as May Bianca pl- plays her so well uh, and I, it's such a great moment for her and it's so tragic because of what's going to happen later on in this season uh, it's a great moment of purpose for Roz with Varys and she's very proud and she should be we have uh, her and Shay earlier this season about you know it's hard for girls like us and women like us to, in our profession to, to rise and here she is She it's a great moment of purpose she's made Varys happy and it, she's so proud and she should be and it's it's tragic that this information kind of directly leads to Baelish um, uh, selling her out to uh, Joffrey and, and her death that comes in the end. So uh, there's that at play there too. But the scene begins with just the ongoing joke of Podrick's uh, prowess in the uh, bedroom. And again, talk, there's the answer. We don't get an answer. We d- Roz says that they said it was hard to describe. That's, that's your answer. It's not about that. It's about uh, how people react to Podrick's new power there. So we, uh, uh, you know, we go uh, from there. Not kind of working in order here, but we got uh, this scene with Ramsay and Theon. Uh, it's a there's a uh, lot going to play. This is powerful for Theon, powerful for this character going forward. This mean this scene means a lot more now than it did before. Once you get the end of the show, uh, that scene uh, is it uh, season seven. Yeah, in front of uh, uh, is it on Dragonstone? Gosh, time is uh, a weird way of messing the seasons up here. Uh, but, yeah, with Jon Snow, Bisty tells Theon, you, you know, you're, you're a Greyjoy and a Stark. That's a powerful moment we felt it then. But go back and watch this scene, scene with Ramsay just tweaking the hell out of Theon's mind and heart and soul, pretending to rescue him, pretending to take him back to his family, to his sister. And Theon has thoughts on that. And Theon, he gets the information he needs. Brandon and Rickon are still alive. Theon's not really a gray joy in his heart. He feels his father was the one uh, beheaded at King's Landing on that day. Powerful, heart-wrenching stuff. Alfie Allen, good as always. It's an amazing scene. Uh, so I don't want to take uh, any of the focus off Theon. But keeping it with some, some of the stuff I said earlier about Colt Tanner, what I love about this scene is, is here's Ramsay. Uh, this is a, if there's any irredeemable character in Game of Thrones, it might be Ramsay. Yes, Joffrey. Rass call Tanner. There's a lot of those characters too. But sometimes you look at Joffrey and you go, yeah, "I mean, how did he have any other shot? Um, horrible monster. Got what's coming. But uh, man, what choices did he have growing up? I think he had some choices later on, but the the wiring might have been faulty. Ramsay probably something of that too. But it's harder to find the humanity. But you have to. You have to as a performer. We don't necessarily have to. But I think you kind of have to as a performer. You have to. It's not just the uh, every character is a hero of their own story. But what's the humanity there? And Ewan uh, 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 Rion uh, is such an amazing actor. This we know. But I think he finds – there's two moments and we'll talk about the later on when he gets his name, when he becomes a Bolton later on. I think that is the key scene for uh, finding humanity in Ramsay. But I love the little moment here because he's just getting all the information out of Theon. He's doing what he wants to do to survive, doing taking care of himself here. As Theon completely relies on someone else to save himself. And he kind of has no option here in this moment, to be fair to Theon here. Uh, but I love as he's getting the, the truth. Um, uh, Theon says he does not have his father's love. We know that's true for Ramsay. And there's that look. There's a look and a pause, and Ramsey says, maybe it's not too late. I believe he's absolutely talking about Theon and and Balon. He's he's talking. He's commenting on Theon's story. But I really – I choose to believe that you could find a little broken bit of humanity there for Ramsey where he wonders too because he's doing this. He's getting this information. We know later on this information becomes very valuable to Roose Bolton. So for Ramsay, in this moment, I love this scene where it's like it, it's 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 a it's a mine beep over Theon, and we we understand that. But to have that little moment of of humanity, of maybe it's not too late, and maybe it's not too late for Ramsay to do horrible things just to get his name to his father's name and to get his father's love. Interesting food for thought there. The theme of survival also plays out in uh, one of the the best scenes of this season: uh, Cersei and Tywin. Uh, Cersei again confronting Tywin. I made reference early. You know, I love the character of Cersei Lannister, as you all know. And she's got this information. Again, she's got a Game of Thrones podcast. Here's the theme. Here's the theme. And what have you, what, you know, are you doing anything to get back Jamie? And Tywin uh, methodically, as he's methodically writing letters, the letters that we know is uh, going to uh, kind of make that happen in a way there. Red Wedding, we see you. I love that Tywin methodically tells the, the, the story, basically, of... Uh, look what I did for Tyrion. And that's Tyrion. You know I don't love Tyrion. But he's got my name. And I uh, I did that. I started a war. So what do you think I'm going to do? Whatever I can. Survival. We have to save ourselves. You want to protect your legacy? Want to save those around you that are important to you? And Tywin's got a warped sense of what that is. We're going to do what I can. Uh, Cersei saying, "Did it ever occur to you that our daughter might be the only one, uh, be the only one listening to him or you?" Um, also, a, a good foreshadowing for uh, the, the, the Tywin's weakness. What we'll end up getting him loving his legacy more than his children. And it's also really interesting here. Uh, I love on that moment. Cersei's saying some truths to Tywin and and you know, you don't love your children. You love the name, you love the legacy, the dynasty. You don't love Jamie, Tyrion, and Cersei, even though I know I've tried to love you. We go from there to a, a very tight shot. We we go to uh, another part of King's Landing there with the Queen of Thorns, Elena Tyrell, about to have that great scene with uh, Varys, which includes the oh, please seduce away. It's been so long. What happens when the decrepit bump bump against the uh, non-existent
1: great line? Love
0: that stuff. But that comes out of this scene where Cersei's saying to Tywin, this, this patriarch? You you don't love your children. You love your legacy, and you are going to do whatever you can to protect your legacy." We smash cut from there to the matriarch of the Tyrells. Queen of Thorns, Elena, lost in thought. She is lost in thought. She is absolutely trying to figure out um, how to do what she can to protect her family, her children, her grandchildren. You know, I know she doesn't love Mace Tyrell, but she'd probably do it. And yes, it's a little bit about the name, but she's she's looking, she's contemplating that. And then we immediately Go into uh, Elena makes fun of her house words and sigil. That's some Tywin Lannister's never going to do that. Reigns of Castamere. The song is all about him going. You made you talk bad about my family name. I am going to wipe you out. Elena's not going to do that, and she's literally talking to the girls who are needlepointing, making a oh a rose, and she goes into a great comedy monologue about uh, <laughs> about that there. But her children and her grandchildren mean more to her than her family name. The scene, and it's played that way. You go from Tywin to Elena, and it turns into a great scene. Uh, The stuff earlier too with Cersei and Elena is great. There's uh, as uh, Joffrey is, by the way, talking about things with more meaning and foreshadowing. Joffrey spoiling House of the Dragon is uh is interesting um yeah if you're not super familiar with what the upcoming house of the dragon show is you might want to just skip this episode or at least skip that part where uh uh joffrey says it ate him while her son watched it's good that's a that's a big plot point coming on there but again it's it's not the it's not the destination it's the journey to these things here uh so that's a that's a great scene of course the marjorie uh, her ability to see what joffrey needs and wants and and how she's uh not so much playing Joffrey, but kind of con- uh, and controlling him. But she's feeding him, she's guiding him. I uh, Love the line: "Severity is the price we pay for greatness," and how that just feeds into Joffrey. But in that scene, it's that little, little side scene, little bumper scene there with Cersei and Olen, and They've always got some great uh, play back and forth. And, and of course, as we all know, Olen is going to go off with, uh, go out with, uh, tell Cersei it was me. So there's always uh, the tension between them. But I, I love the scene there. And it's full of tension, I, I think. But Olenna's well, saying, we mothers do what we can to keep our sons from the grave. They seem to yearn for it. Um, and it's an unfair arrangement, all those kind of things. And uh, I, think, I think Cersei in that moment, I think she sees the Queen of Thorns as someone that gets her. But she's not going to allow herself. She immediately, uh, well, that's as the gods will, it, and blah, blah, blah. The cold exterior goes up. But, you know, to see these two scenes, the one with Tywin, her father, where she's just like, I wanted nothing but to love you. I want nothing but to carry on your legacy. I'm the only one to listen to you. Why can't you see that? We got the stuff with Ramsay and Theon talking about the love from the father. And uh, we've been dealing with love from the mother with Catelyn and everything. Cersei in that moment, I almost wonder. I, I would be curious, I don't love to, you know, you don't always lean on what the actors are, are, are interpreting in the scenes as they play them. But I'd love to hear what Lena Headey thinks on this particular scene. Because so I think she almost sees like, man, imagine if I, imagine if I had the love and support of Olena Tyrell instead of my father. Imagine what I could be. Imagine what this whole situation could be. I think she sees a little bit of herself, but also sees someone who understands her and gets her. Just released at that second. Just my thoughts there. Um, so, moving along then. We, uh, um, uh, we actually, going back to the Varus scene, I think it's important with Varys and Orlena, um, uh, the, a little bit of panic in Varus and, and, we're putting the play, uh, the play in motion to go get Sansa and pull, pull her into the fold for House Tyrell. But I love the line. I, I don't want to not discuss this one here. Littlefinger, this is from Varys. Littlefinger is one of the most dangerous men in Westeros, um, and then he goes uh, – Lena uh, comes back to him with something and then uh, Vera says, actually, i rather enjoy him. But he would see this country burn if he could be uh, – if he would be the king of the ashes. I love that. That is definitely Baelish. We got the climb episode coming up shortly, which is the chaos as a ladder speech. Some we're already kind of aware of Baelish, but I love that there uh, for um, for that. Uh, another great moment. I do love Cersei versus Marjorie. The looks, the panic, the waves – uh, that great scene of uh, of of Marjorie getting Joffrey to go out and wave at everybody, just the looks from Marjorie looking back at Cersei, like, "Oh, I'm making her panicked. I'm giving him what he wants." Let's go out and do the pageant wave. Uh, love that stuff as well. All right, all right, we're almost done here, but you know, there's one little final scene we got to discuss here on casually Talk. And thank you all for listening. Thank you all for joining me uh, as uh, we go back and relive and 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 track uh, the. Themes and lessons and what it all means for these episodes here. Uh, yeah, so this big final scene. Danny wants an army. Last episode, walk of punishment. Great conversations, great stuff with Barriston and Jorah. Two uh, angels on her shoulders with different points of view on how to go about doing that army. And she basically says, tells them later on after she tells... Krasny that she'll sell him a dragon for the 8,000 Unsullied, which they're both like, don't you dare. And she says, don't you question me. A great scene, great episode. Uh, we did, broke down last uh, last week. If you missed it, check it out. So here we go to the final scene. Now, Dan and David called this episode a turning point. And uh, as I said up top, uh, Daenerys' final scene is one of uh, D.B. Weiss's favorites. He, he read the books as they were getting this going and was like, how do we get that scene on, on film? Uh, they ain't even sure it was a big scene. This is season three, so the budgets are getting bigger. bigger the CGI is getting better. But Alex Graves, they, they give him a lot of credit as the director for getting him through that scene. I think Katie Wyland's editing is uh, beautiful as well in this final scene. And that final scene is the ultimate example of this episode's theme to me. Uh, we know that Danny learned in Karth that she can't rely on others. She's tired of knocking on doors and asking for help and getting no help or... The wrong kind of help, or getting played. We learned that she's got that. I think season one, she learned to kind of become herself and believe in herself. Season two, she again learned that uh, uh, I am uh, on my own. And now here in Astapor, she no longer uh, is going to sit back to be used, abused, and insulted as Krasney's has been doing the whole time. And if she's, uh, you know, that's the kind of treatment she's received around this world so far. And I think she began the season wanting an army, and she got one her way. You have to save yourself. You want to live, you have to save yourself. Little old Rast. Little old Rast. If we want to live, we'll have to look out for ourselves. Well, Danny is here to look out for herself. And there's a cost. But this is a triumphant scene. And it shouldn't be seen as anything less. I am a big Daenerys Targaryen fan. Even when she at times frustrated me. Season 4 and 5. Doing some things I wasn't sure about. Where it all ends up, it's not, it's not a happy ending. This we know. And I know the ending does not sit well with anybody or everybody. And actually, more people know than not. More, more people know than yes on that scene. I love where it ends up. And I contend and I will contend to my dying day that it was built into the show, particularly from season three on. That's kind of where they had the idea. The really solid. They knew, but now they're really leaning into it. And I think it's there. What the shows, what the episodes are telling you. And it's not necessarily just simple foreshadowing. It's it's asking these questions, man. This is triumphant. I wouldn't want Danny to do anything less than this in this episode. There's so many wonderful things in it. Is it done then? Do they belong to me? Uh... And up until this moment, Masande's been of course translating, we know, and Danny's playing him. Great, reveal. But how it was revealed, the, 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 little, the little micro uh, steps of how it was revealed. She's asking, "Is it done then?" Masande asks in Valerian, um, a lower version of, of uh, Valerian. Danny speaks a higher version of Valerian. David J. Peterson wrote both the languages. They're created both languages. Uh, Masande gives the translation from Krasny's speaking the, the lower Valerian. Great. They belong to me. Missande translates it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Krasnus says, I believe the line is the bitch has her army. Ooh. That look, that look that Danny gives Krasnitz. And notice she does not get the translation from Missande. This is a fun moment, even with the knowledge. I think whether you knew the books before or you now are just rewatching the show, this scene plays this scene still hits. This scene still plays. It still gave me chills rewatching it. But here she is. That look she gives to Krasnis. I'm done with you. I am done with you. Uh, the reveal of when she actually starts speaking, it's a series of priceless looks. Natalie Emanuel is Missande, just with the when she looks back at Krasnis like, Oh, your goose is cooked, man. You a hole. This wonderful woman's been playing you the entire time. Jora and Barriston looking at each other. And they have a couple looks. Jorah is kind of looking at her like... And he, and he loves this woman, right? We, he loves her, he cares about her without a doubt. But I think even Jorah, the fact that Jorah was surprised kind of shows you where, you know, he was thinking more about himself than her at times. And I love Jorah, but I'm going to I'm gonna call him on that. The fact that he couldn't even comprehend that this might be... He knows her history. Targaryen he knows it. The fact that she couldn't even understand a word or two of Valyrian. But he's in awe just as much as he's in shock. And then when she gets the army and they figure out what she's going to do, I love... Uh, the two battling angels, Jora embarrassed and looking in her as well. Uh, Danny sees what she wants and she knows bet- what's between her and that goal, so she takes it by fire. We're rooting for her here because we should. These are uh, a slave army. They are uh, tortured to get to this point. Uh, Danny has already looked around Astapor several times and seen the faces of the slaves. She wants to be uh, a breaker of chains. I would support her in that cause to the ends of earth, the ends of the earth, and and, and again, it's triumphant. I don't. Want, no one should take this moment away from Danny, but it's asking you to to look at this and, 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 and a little closer and ask some important questions. As I said before, Danny sees what she wants. This army, because it serves her goals, her plans of getting back to Westeros and taking what is hers, that kingdom. King's Landing, the Iron Throne, the one built by her ancestors, the one I was tossed out of, that is mine. And between her and this army is this horrible man. I don't care about him. I don't care anything. I'm not going to – I'm not here to listen. He's a horrible man. Uh, I'm going to burn him, Drekaris. which, by the way, if you play the original Game of Thrones slots over in Vegas – when you hit those dragons, and that's that's this is the sound clip that comes up. Drakkaris, you know, you, you're in some money. So I even love this scene even more. Revealing a little bit of myself, I guess. Uh, she sees what she wants. She sees what's between her and that goal, and she takes it by fire. Where does that come into play again? When she's sitting on top of Drogon now, not holding him on a chain. She's sitting on top of him looking. Looking. Across King's Landing at the Red Keep, looking at the kingdom that sits between her and that and the kingdom, the people in there, the queendom, if you will, the land, the, 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 the people did not want her. Cersei's sitting there, a pretender, the people in front of her, all the houses, all the citizens, they didn't want her there. This land has rejected her there. So she freaks out, she goes angry, she goes to what she knows, she takes it all by fire. It is her nature, and sometimes we are at war with our nature more than anything else. D.B. Weiss talks about in the extra uh, extras, which I always recommend watching, uh, her capacity for cruelty. Again, I call this scene triumphant because I think the cruelty is justified here. But is it? Is it? It's how we fight, Right? That's a big Star Wars theme. That's what the Jedi always have to ask themselves. Anger is a little natural. Hate sometimes, all right, maybe a lot. But you can't give in to it. Once you walk down the uh, uh, dark side of the, 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 the force, once you touch it, once you play with it, forever will it dominate your destiny. This is a modern myth. Game of Thrones is a complicated shades of gray modern myth. We don't have... Hobbits and rings and happy endings. We don't get to see uh, Aragorn's uh, tax policies in Lord of the Rings, as George R. R. Martin always says, but we do in this one. This is what I'm dealing with here. And he's dealing with real-life history. So much George is uh, an expert on on medieval history, right? Or any kind. of. just listen to him at conventions and panels just just bursts out all this history. He's drawn from that. So it's a modern myth. It's a fable. It's a a lesson for all of us based in very real-life history decisions yeah these are dragons it's not laser swords but dragons are you know fantasies well but it's asking a very real question what would you do what does danny to do the world has treated her she wants an army to take back what is hers first she wanted ships to get that army to get out to get back home to get back with her people spice trader wouldn't give her that she didn't have to do the dirty work there she had her dragons taken from her, but to get out of the house of the Undying, Drakaris, justified. Here, a slave master, a slave trader, justified. But once you start down that dark path, forever will it dominate your destiny. I think this episode is asking you to at least consider it, even if you don't agree with what happens with Danny's story. As I said, Weiss talks about in the extras. Her capacity for cruelty, he says. Her sphere of empathy widens as that sphere of empathy widens. And it is widening. Before it was just like, I want, I, want, I want to take the Iron Throne. But now it's like, there's people I can free. There's people I can help. Well, Miriam has duels like the first person, right? One of the first people she really is like, no, I want to help her and the people around her. And it's like, great decision. Yeah, side by it, But look what it got you. Be careful. And again, I think she does does right there. And that's the other thing, too. I think Danny does do what's right and continues to in her mind, at least. Again, we're everyone's asking them this question, asking themselves this question in this episode. You, you want to live, you got to look out for yourselves. How are you gonna do that? What does that mean to you? Weiss goes on to say, her as her sphere of empathy widens, her sphere of cruelty does as well. And they're saying this, these extras are taped after. Season three is out and about or after it's made, I should say. This is in their heads as creators now, and, and they're asking that along the way. And sometimes the answer isn't clear. And Game of Thrones, Song of Ice and Fire, I don't think it's supposed to be clear. Again, going to Varys. We don't hear what the voice says, but it's not about that. It's about your reaction to what what the those who believed in the voice or took action because of what they thought the voice was saying. Danny takes a big action. Benioff says and he says some truths here in the, the extras. She becomes harder to dismiss. So far in the show, we love her. We 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 consider her a power. We know what she's doing, but she's been on a girl she's been a girl on the edge of the world until this moment. Every time you hear other characters talk about her over in Westeros, it's a Targaryen girl. It's a girl at the end of the world. Oh, she's got some dragons. She's married a warlord. Who cares? We'll deal with her at best. It's Tyrion and Varys going another story for another time, another game for another day. We'll deal with it down the line. Danny steps forward. She looks out for herself. She saves herself. She takes what she wants. She's been a girl on the edge of the world, but no more. And Benioff says, she stepped into her own as a conqueror. Or maybe it was wise. They're the same person, right? But in those extras, check it out. She stepped into her own as a conqueror. And I think of Daerion O'Harris telling her that at the end of season six, Daenerys Targaryen, you're a conqueror. And Tyrion reminds us all along we cheered her as she destroyed and burned horrible men. And guess what? I'm still cheering her and you should too. But this show does, asks, does, asks what, does ask what is the cost to your own choices and what is the cost of what the world does to you and asking the world about their choices, about how they treat you. And by the way, I'm not justifying Danny burning King's Landing. I want to justify Danny burning Krasnys. Again, going to go ahead and say not a good dude. But even Weiss says in the notes there, she wasn't concerned about who he was or his story. She wasn't concerned about any of that. Boom. She's, he's between her and her goal. Light him up. Light him up. And she does that again. For better or worse, Daenerys Targaryen does what she does here. She looks out for herself. Sometimes in the name of helping others. Sometimes in the name of empathy. But sometimes just to get her goal. She's wonderfully complicated. She's one of my favorite characters. Frustrating at times. Triumphant at most others. uh, And well played. Wonderfully played. I appreciate Amelia Clark's performances more and more as I rewatch this show. There you go. There you go. Final comment, actually, uh, from our friend Donald Long on Twitter. He says, Daenerys finally fully becomes the name she was given as the Dragon Queen here. We all know what was going to happen since she came to Astapor. We were just waiting for her to show her cards. She takes everything she experienced up until now and showcases uh, showcases it in one of the most standout scenes in the entire series, especially her dropping the whip, which is a symbol of slavery, and in her way shows she doesn't need it or wanted to lead these men. Yeah. By the way, she gets this army in the right way, huh? I love it. Love it. Great comment, uh, 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 Ranger Donald, as we call him around these parts, and great comment, uh, Eric Monroe as well. If you guys want to reach out about future episodes, I record these on a week-to-week basis. Occasionally I will record ahead, so I apologize if that happens and I miss your question. You can follow me on Twitter and use the hashtag Casterly talk, talk to reach on out to me. Uh, That is it for this week. Thank you for listening to the podcast. You also can go and watch over on our YouTube channel, which is uh, Cashfully Talk's own YouTube channel, uh, separate from the GPA, as we try to build this out and get ready for House of the Dragon, which, you know, Joffrey spoiled today in this episode. Joffrey, another reason to hate him. Uh, As I said, follow me on CatNapsack. Follow us on Good People GPA. Thanks for listening to Cashfully Talk here on the Blue Wire podcast. Network of shows and companies and streams and ah, Blue Wire, they're great. Check them out too. Uh, We'll see you next time here on Casterly Talk.